Welcome, everyone, to our newly named podcast, At the Corner with Imperfect Life. And those of you that tuned in for our last episode know that there are changes happening here, and we're so excited to have you along for that ride. I'm your host, Katie, and I'm excited to have Mila here as well as my co-host this week. Hello, everybody. Today's episode is dedicated to all the fabulous Generation X women out there, including us. We're a strong, resilient, scrappy bunch, yet ridiculously overlooked constantly as a demographic to put resources against. So for today's conversation, we find ourselves at the corner of nostalgia and invisibility as we spend some time reflecting back on what it was like growing up Generation X and then spend some time in the present and looking to the future where we are often disregarded as a group due to our small size compared to boomers, Gen Y and Gen Z. For today's conversation, we've invited two of our fellow Gen X friends to join. If you've been listening to the podcast from the beginning, you will know one of these guests already, my dear friend, Laura Tyler, who frankly, I couldn't imagine having this conversation without. Laura, can you do a quick introduction for our audience? Thanks, Katie. He's a former alt girl, lover of the new romantics, hair metal, grunge, and contempo casual. I'm also the mom of a millennial and a Gen Z. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura. Our second guest is my oldest friend and not oldest for age because I have friends that are older than her, but he's my oldest friend, like my first friend that I remember when I was a little kid. This is Mary. Mary and I grew up together and we spent a lot of time together until she moved to Texas where she lives now with her husband and her two kids that are not kids anymore, that are men already. So, Mary, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Mary Serena. Yes, I am a childhood friend of Mila. And yeah, I remember the same thing. You are my be- my first friend <laughs> from my oldest friend, and I think since uh, kindergarten. So I grew up in Venezuela, in Caracas. And when I was 26, I moved uh, to Houston following the love of my life, which I married. And I have two kids, 18 and 22. So one is a millennial, one is Gen Z. I studied marketing in Caracas. And after volunteering here and a few jobs, I own my own uh, business. And I love to travel and I love movies. We are very happy to have the two of you join us uh, for today's conversation. It will be very interesting to have this uh, conversation because we are also grown up in different parts of the world. And even for Laura and, uh, and Katie, you grew up in very different parts of the U.S. So then maybe there are some differences as well. So I thought we could have some fun to start with a bit of Gen X flashback to the things we remember from when we were growing up. And since we grew up in such different places, we may not actually understand what the other person is saying. So I thought we could create some lists together and Mila and I'll throw out a few categories and we can each add some items to the list. So I thought maybe we could start with who was our heartthrobs of our childhood, the people that we got all excited about, whether it was in those teenage magazines or television or whatever it was. Uh, I'll tell you my first one, you know, was always Rick Springfield, right? Dr. Noah Drake, 
Yes, Rick yes. Springfield. And what was funny is when I look back, I was about like 14 years old. I saw him in concert in 1983. I loved him oh. at the hospital. And I look back now, he was 34 years old when I was in love with him. Seriously? And then later, when I, when I was a little bit older, it was Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran. Oh, so those were my two. Nice. I loved Rick Springfield. Oh. I thought that wasn't the poster on my wall. Yes. Like, seriously, I love him. The, I, I am going to say that Rick Springfield is still touring. And I yes. he's here. But he still, oh, yeah. he like tears the shirt off. And I'm like, no, 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 Nanny, no, 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 dude. <laughs> no not, not anymore, man. Not anymore. Before I hit my teens, Sean Cassidy was uh, yes, uh, my sure. heartthrob. The do run, run. <laughs> and, but I did uh, graduate to any of the guys from the outsiders. So Rob Lowe, oh, C. Thomas Hall, not Tom Cruise, never been a Tom Cruise fan, but yeah. all the rest of them, they were on my, they were on my list of heartthrobs. So <laughs> Rob Lowe. In my list, I had the same of you, Sean Cassidy and uh, Parker Stevenson. I mean, at some point it was just Sean. And then I, I thought, no, it's Parker. But yeah, those two from back, and then probably lately it's uh, Joshua Jackson, but then again, Brad Pitt has always been a favorite of mine. <laughs> That's and, uh, and, I will yeah. say out of the Hardy boys, Parker Stevenson is the one that aged the best. So, yeah, I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I have to throw in uh, some other people in the mix and that is Menudo. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, just sorry. Ricky, just Ricky Martin and, and uh, Rene. For me, it was Rene and Johnny. Ooh, hey, I remember Johnny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you do? I don't think I know any members of Menudo, except I guess Ricky Martin. Yeah, I no, mean, I they were you. huge. They were huge in Venezuela. It was unbelievable. In yeah, Latin America, all over. I went to a concert. I went with my mother. <laughs> yeah, because my mother was working in that city. My father took us there. The Menudo was staying in the hotel that we were. Oh, wow. Marcus, the yeah. joy on your face and in your voice makes me so <laughs> happy. That is the pure love of your first heartthrob. It's like uh, Emma Thompson says, true love lasts a lifetime. There you your, go. John Travolta was my first love. Benny okay. yeah, Barbarino <laughs> was from the Sweat Hogs will always be my true love. Well, all right, Mila, throw us out a, a category. So we were talking about music and posters and actors. So the, we have maybe some movies that scared us. Movies that scared us. Movies that scared us. You well, know, I, I can remember the first Jaws. time I saw Jaws and The Shining. I know, Katie, you and I share this fear. Mm -hmm. of, like Jaws really... I, I can remember going into a pool and thinking I was going to get eaten by a shark. <laughs> and I can imagine my legs flailing like the girl in the movie. Mary's laughing because she said Jaws too. So she. No, 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 no. no, yeah. no. It's just that I remember that you are a Yes. Oh, Jaws. Jaws. Yeah, yeah. Jaws. No. no, for me, yeah, Jaws, absolutely. Jaws did scare the heck out of me. But the movie for me was, I don't actually think I was supposed to watch it because we got HBO as soon as you could get cable in our neighborhood and so we had a, a basement so I sneaked downstairs and watched the stuff that I wasn't supposed to and I watched The Exorcist and I oh. 
I and I love horror films, but that movie, I kept waking up in a cold sweat every 30 minutes. Every time I'd fall asleep, I had this dream and then I'd wake up in a cold sweat. So that's the movie I most vividly recall. But but Mary, do you remember anything? I, I For me, a scary movie was The Omen. Oh. The, La Profecia. Remember? Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With good uh, one. Gregory Peck and I don't know. The, uh, Lee Remick. Lee, Lee Remick. Yes. Yeah. I remember that. Um, but then again, when, when I was a kid, I like horror movies. I like them. So I don't, I, I was trying really hard to remember if I got scared with any of those. And I just came up with this one and later on with Silence of the Lambs because it was disturbing more than a horror. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, yeah but I remember because did you, where did you watch the, the Omen? Did you watch that, it? That's, that's the other thing. That's what I'm thinking. We, we could watch these movies is in a movie theater or yeah. wait until they were on TV. And then when they put them on TV, first of all, it was translated, yeah. you know, adopted uh, to Spanish. So we, there, there's a lot of things that we, you lose by dubbing a, 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 the movie. And then because of time, they cut. Yeah, stuff. that was edited. And yeah. we're like, I never saw that scene. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so, there were commercials in between. Yes, <laughs> a lot of. That does break up the scary. What I remember is that I might be scared that night, but I don't recall any movie that have to this day uh, that I'm scared of, like yeah, yeah. The, I, 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 like you with Joss. I, I, with Joss, to me was like, okay, I want to see a tiburón. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the beach. Sure. I need to see one. Where is it? So, yeah. No way. I still think The Shining is scary today. Is. I that's yeah, one I, I still watch and and I still feel uncomfortable when I watch it. And I think that Stephen King was a soundtrack of our fear in the 80s. He just, he could nail it in the 80s. Like that was his finest kind of time. Laura, you would love, what was it? Like five years ago, six years ago, when I was still in LA, we went to a Christmas party that was at an old theater in Los Angeles that was a shining themed Christmas party and so they um, screened the movie as part of the party but when you walked in if you remember (laughs) the party that's in the picture and that's in that one room that's what you walk into is all the balloons and the music and then there was a room that had the tricycle and stuff and it was there was in the foyer there was a desk with the typewriter and on the thing it said all work no play makes Jack a dull boy a bunch of times (laughs) yeah I know the server for twins yeah, yeah, not yeah. Sure I, I, I'm not sure I would sleep that night. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, so yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mila, what about no, you? know that for me, so I remember what Mary is saying. We used to watch movies in the theater or only on TV. So we only had three stations and there were two commercial stations and the government station. Ah, so, got it. And the programming was like, it was in the morning for kids. In the, at noon, there were telenovelas. In the afternoon, in the afternoon, there were maybe kids show and then again, uh, telenovelas and a news program. That was it. So there was not really too much variety. And I remember I used to go with Mary to the movies and with her mother, but they wouldn't take us to a a scary movie. So then, and we only had one TV at home. I remember the one thing that I remember, there was this program that was called Alerta, that it was like a, like a 60 minutes program, something like that. It was called Alerta. 
I don't remember what the program was about, but there were a bunch of monkeys and there were monkeys and these monkeys. And I went to sleep and I woke up in a sweat and screaming because the monkeys were coming at me. So I remember this clearly that program. I'm laughing because I need to send you a video from my trip to my first trip to Bali when we walk through the monkey forest and Marcos turn around and I turn around with the camera and there's this wave of monkeys running towards me. And I'm like, ah, don't let them me. So I need to send it to you and see if that was your nightmare. Yeah, and I was, I was like seven or eight. I remember that I used, so to this day, I remember that the monkeys, yeah. So you didn't really like watch Planet of the Apes or any of that? <laughs> Planet of the Apes wasn't as scary. Katie, I worry about you. You want to take me to a shining party and you want to send her videos of monkeys. You're you're a little diabolical, my friend. It's cruel. We had a radio show that was most more scary yeah. than than yes. the movies, the uh, <laughs> <Solid> Universo, <laughs> yeah. the supernatural stuff. And oh, all yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. So that, that was scary. It was That's fun cool. to listen to, but at That's the same true. time, they would tell stories like, oh my God. And scary voices and all of that. It's kind of like reading your imagination takes over when you're just oh, yeah. hearing a story. So oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the yeah. picture in your head's probably worse than what would be Much on it. Much more horrifying, well, yeah. We're, we're going to come back to a category about horror. But before that, I want what is talking about Gen X without talking about mixtapes. And <laughs> mixtapes were a science and an art form. And I can remember having my old school tape player and sitting by a radio waiting for a song to come on so I could <laughs> tape it for my mixtape. But mixtapes often had a theme. So I feel like our theme should be ladies of the 80s. So if you were going to make a mixtape about the ladies of the 80s, who would you put on that mixtape? Uh, Cindy Lauper. Oh, oh yeah. nice choice. Yeah. Oh. I always go Queen Pat. It's always going to be Pat oh. Benatar. Oh, was Pat Benatar. Always going to be Queen Pat Benatar. I think this isn't my first choice, but I feel like she has to be on there is Madonna. Madonna has to be there. She has to be there, but it's not my choice either. No. no. Blondie. Oh, beauty. I love it. <laughs> I would um, say Bob Benatar. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I just have fond memories of Lisa and Cult Jam. I just do. I can't help myself every once in a while when I flip on to one of those retro video stations and she comes on, I hang my head, but I still go, girl could put it down. Hit the beat now. <laughs> that, I don't, that I don't know yes. who it is, that I don't know. But I remember Bonnie Tyler. Oh, oh yeah. I feel like I also gotta do a shout out for girl band with Go-Go's. Oh, the Go-Go's. Uh, well, pre Joan Jett was in the- uh, Runaways. Runaways. Uh, I love the Bengals. Oh, the Bengals. B-52? Yeah. B-52 is a good choice. Two yeah. girls B-52 in that one. Very powerful. Cindy and Jenny. They're Chico. like late 80s. Do they squeak? No. Chica del Can. B-52 is are 81, 82. Ah. ah. La Chica del Can. That is ours. Oh. <laughs> say more. Say more. No, no, La no, Chica no. del Can was a band. It was like a merengue band. So yeah, there's this girls. guy that was called Juan Luis Guerra and the 440 is like merengue band. And then La Chica del Can was like a spin-off 
with only women and then they had i don't know maybe five hits uh, yeah, but they, I, but they I, were <laughs> oh they are sa- i just pulled them up they are sassy looking no that wasn't a favorite of mine ever i know but you are just thinking about it but yeah karina I, karina and melissa karina i like karina and what was the other one I, I, yeah. I have a problem is that I know the songs, but I don't know the name of whoever sings the song. <laughs> is a, yes. Oh, is that who sings that? Oh my God, I didn't know. So, yeah. No, I'm trying, oh, Tina Turner's got to be on it. But yeah. that's more like, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Private yeah, dancer. Yeah, she went through in private dancer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Mila, throw us out another category. Okay, I think that we have to say toys that w- could kill us. Yeah, toys <laughs> that could kill you. I'm going to put out the, the juggernaut of it, lawn darts. I don't know if you guys had these, but they were big, giant darts with a metal pointy end that you threw to get it into a loop at the end. And to this day, I try and find some collector's lawn darts because... <laughs> if you Google them, if you're not familiar with them, Google them and see all of the injuries of how darts landed in other people's feet <laughs> at the other end. <laughs> Mary, do you remember anything? No, I couldn't come up with anything. Like what? What are they well, talking two about? Two things kind of rushed to my mind. One, somebody got herself a pair for Christmas ah. uh, or Valentine's Day, which is roller skates. And I think now... Like we were just bonsai with roller skates. We thought we could do impressive moves and we were skating down streets. And while it probably wouldn't kill us when we were a kid, it definitely could kill us now. The other thing is, and Katie, you may have joined Florida later, but any water park that was open in the 80s was oh, out yeah. to kill you. Oh, yeah. Like just out to kill you. Oh, yeah. Wild action park. They just, <laughs> well, yeah, they didn't care. <laughs> That's a, and they don't make a documentary about you for no reason Katie. that is true that is true <laughs> mary no i'm thinking of the toys yes i couldn't come up with any toy that could kill you but when you mentioned the roller skates there was also the skateboards and we did these things without any uh, protective gear yeah so, exactly and then my brother got a skateboard and uh, i think the same day he got it he went down the uh, driveway uh, and it was steep And he broke his arm. So the thing that I want to mention is the thing about the roller skates and the skateboard, because clearly kids today and adults today have that and they do all sorts of crazy stuff with it. But Mary's point about protective gear is the thing that's important. We didn't have protective gear. Did not. (laughs) We had no protective. Our skin was our protective gear. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. Hey. If anybody from listening to this podcast thinks that I was a exemplary child, <laughs> you haven't been listening closely enough. So my question is, if you filled in the blank, if my parents only knew as far as things you got away with or tried to get away with in your younger days, how would you fill in that sentence? And I can get the party started if you all would like. Oh, please do. <laughs> yes. If If my parents only knew that... When I suggested they should move the old picnic table in the backyard to be underneath my window, (laughs) and (laughs) why I had suggested that. (laughs) 
Right. I do think they figured out because at some point it did move, but it was my exit because I didn't have to make any noise. Like I just, I opened the window, I was out, I was gone, bump, bump, bump over the bushes and out. And I, it didn't take me very long to escape. And it was easy to come home for curfew and immediately go back out and then come back in. So that's, uh, that's the one I would throw out there. How old were you? Uh, that was my teenage years, high school. So probably- okay. 13, 14, 15, 16. So let me follow that. If my parents only knew, and then I could, now that I have Mary in front of me, I can say that a lot of times that I was supposed to be with Mary, I was not with Mary. (laughs) (laughs) An alibi. (laughs) And then I would call her and say, hey, by the way, just in case my, my parents call, uh, you called me and I'm uh, here and there. And she knew where I was. So she <laughs> would always could find me. All right, ladies. <laughs> what what did you get up to that if your parents only knew? I go after Mila said that. I, I'm, uh, are your parents listening to this? I was her alibi. There were uh, two times that she didn't said anything. And I would get on her case like, oh, my God. I'm going to kill you. They didn't call, but I'm going to kill you. Uh, for me, for the most part, I was a good kid. So I always told the truth. I thought that uh, it was better to tell the truth in case anything happened. The, pro- the trouble that you would get in was less than if you lied. So I would tell them everything. But uh, two things that I didn't uh, tell them was that I, when I was 18, 19, I went to therapy. That was a no-no in my house. Uh. And just a background here. My parents, they are post-war generation and World War II generation. So they are older than whatever your parents might be. Uh, so this is a different mindset. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. And and then I would tell them where I was going, but they never knew how many people were going with me. <laughs> so there were occasions that there was a big group when there was only my me and my boyfriend, which is my husband. No, but see, see. So even if they're listening, right, it right. worked out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that Laura. So- Yeah, I hate to disappoint, Katie. So here's the thing. I am a child of divorce, which means that my parents didn't live in the same house. So I lived with my mom, who I felt like no matter, because I also lived in a very small town in my early teenage years, and everybody talks. So you can't do a whole lot without everybody knowing anyway. And people will create rumors even if you didn't do anything. So there wasn't a whole lot my mom didn't know. I I tended to spill the beans whenever I was under the glare of my mother. But then I moved in with my dad when I was 15. And unfortunately, my dad was one of those dads who thought it was more important to be cool than to set down rules. Yeah. Yeah. So there wasn't anything I could have done that my father probably wouldn't have been like, cool. Your yeah. point is going to reflect on something we're going to uh, talk about later on in the podcast. One of them being the jump in the rate of divorce that happened for our generation, which seems commonplace today, but was unheard of at the time it when was. we were growing up. Yeah, it yeah. was. I didn't have a lot of friends whose parents were divorced when my parents got divorced. Mila. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. We need to bring the time machine into the present. But before we do that, it's time for our compelling question of the episode. So for today's compelling question, we're going to go all pop culture-esque and explore the very stereotypical and limiting personas of The Breakfast Club. So this is a two-part question, and it's I'm hoping that everybody on here is familiar with The Breakfast Club, but if not, that's worth the conversation. If you had to pick out of the original five, which character do you think you most align with? And second, what persona would you add to the group to round it out a bit more? Just as a reminder, we had John Bender, who was the Judd Nelson character, Allison Reynolds, which was Ali Sheedy, Brian Johnson, which was the nerdy guy, right? With Anthony Michael Hall, Claire Standish, played by Molly Ringwald, and Andrew Clark, who was the jock Emilio Estevez. So who wants to start? I struggled with this one. Yeah, I struggled with this one because part of me feels very kind of clear standish, certainly not from a wealth perspective, but just from the, where she talks my father uses this against my mother and my mother uses against my father. If my father says yes, then my mother says no. And at any moment now, divorce. I was already going through that where my parents were fighting through me, but I also feel like Allison Reynolds, where even though I had a great mix of friends and I actually had a very positive high school experience, I still felt like sometimes I walked through the halls and, and people didn't really know who I was. And I didn't know who I was because I had come from Louisiana to Florida and I just felt like the whole world opened up to me and I didn't really know how to handle it that first year. So I didn't really know who I was. So I felt invisible, which is how I feel like she feels. Yeah. Would you add a character? to this mix the thing is i would like to see the depiction of and and i know it doesn't fit because every one of these characters is really struggling but there were kids who just were none of those things and all of them i liked a little bit of sports i don't think allison reynolds depicts the goth chick i like a good goth chick just a i'm exploring my a little emo uh, <laughs> otherness because uh, the goth chicks are freer about their sexuality they're freer about their and girls are going through that now in high school they don't know who they are and the goth meets that so i, I would have liked that girl who our, looks at all of them with scorn i would add I, mean, I don't know why i'm starting with the second part of the question but i i think you prompted that on me laura but i would start I would add a diversity into yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. That is the first thing that I would add. Very white uh, group of kids, which is Same great. Point, but, but but it's also it's also an old movie, right? So then that's what it is. But I will add a little bit of diversity, a little bit of spice, brown and black Asian. I would add a lot of spice, but yes. Yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> the one thing that I would add because it, it then it adds a lot of other complexity. I feel this. like Allison probably could have been a woman of color because she felt so invisible. And at that time period, uh, having a woman of color uh, feel like she's invisible in American high schools in the 80s would not have been a stretch. There were plenty of women of color, young girls of color who felt lost in high schools in the 80s. Yeah. Who would you be? I would be, so, so I had two schools, let's say. I had a primary school and I had a high school. So I went to the two different schools, two different set of things. So in the primary school, 
I would be, and I was with Mary there, so I don't know what she would say, <laughs> but I would be a combination between Andrew Clark, so Emilio Estevez character, and Claire Standish, the Molly Ringwald character. So I would be, yeah. Mary in looks like she's primary in primary school. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, in a way, very outgoing and taking charge or whatever. I, I don't know. I was comfortable. I started very young and then I ended at sixth grade. I grew into who I was. So then I was, I don't want to say a leader, but in a way I was like, <laughs> I'm looking at Mary, but I was like that. And then, but in my high school, then it turned around because I was the new kid in a school where everybody knew each other because they were coming from primary school together. So I was a totally new kid and I was a kid because I started uh, high school when I was what, 11 or something like that. We started very young or, or so then I think I was more like a Brian Johnson and Alison Reynolds combination. <laughs> Mary, what about you? One, it looks like you agree with her on what she was saying. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, oh, oh, to to explain a little bit, we both changed schools after elementary school, and our elementary school were very small, so it was one classroom of each grade, and from there we went to high school where each grade had four classrooms, four, four classes, four groups. Ah, uh, so of, like. 400% more people than you're yeah, used to. Yeah, exactly. Four <laughs> groups of, uh, it was, mine was 25 per classroom. So <clears throat> yeah, I, I think in primary school, Milagros was Claire and Andrew Clark. And she was a leader. Yes. She is my leader. <laughs> how about, so how about you? Take me to your leader. Okay. <laughs> uh, for me, I... For both elementary school and high school, I am a Brian Johnson all the way, not all the way because of my grades. He seems to be a, a, a good student, not that I was a bad student, but to me, he seems all A's. I was most B's, <laughs> maybe a C, but I was shy. I was, I am shy. I was not the popular guy. I was the, you know, the geek in some way. I like all technology nerd things. I was a tomboy, but then in high school, I was more Brian Johnson because I wasn't yep. popular and my friends weren't the popular ones either. We were the nerds, the ugly ones, the not the pretty girls. That was my group. By the way, though, that's the group that rules the world today. So it's <laughs> all good. Yeah. He's not Maybe. wrong. Yeah, that was, I had two additions when I thought about this. So one was most of these films woefully lacked any kind of diversity. So there needed to be some kind of voice from that. The other group that I feel like was not necessarily represented very well and is totally stereotypical, but was the drama band choir, the kind of more, the art. The um, art, yeah. Yeah, people. the more don't artist. You, don't you have that, that in Alison Reynolds? A, a little bit, but I didn't get the impression. I, I got the impression that she just kind of sketched a little bit. So the art from that piece, but I didn't get the impression she was the drama. She's not in the joiner group, right? There's yeah. no glee club. There's no show choir. There's no, she's not, that's not, I, I like what Katie's saying. This was their whole life. They were so excited to go to glee club or drama club and they had found their group, but everybody else would make fun of you. Yeah. 
Laura, something you said hit me because when I was trying to answer this question, so I think if you asked other people that I went to high school with, they would put me with Emilio Estevez's character because yeah. I was year round soccer, track, even my cheerleader. And I would say that most of my social circle were athletes in some way, shape or form. That being said, I was also in the AP classes. I was in choir in junior high and only was not in it in high school because I didn't have any time for it. Um, I could hang with the folks that were on the periphery of the social circuit, like on the Allison Reynolds. And by the way, there was a pretty decent streak of John Bender in me as well, too. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's actually probably, as I say that, I'm like, oh, I've got about six more things I need to add to my, if my parents only knew this, (laughs) but I will not say it, but I think I was a mashup. But I think what was interesting, Laura, when you were talking about Claire, I process Claire differently because I'm not a child of divorce. And so when you actually look at each of them to look at the kind of darker side that they were trying to deal or wrestle with. That's where things switch up a little bit, but I probably- It was the damage they all did to from their parents. Their parents' expectations of them, I think, are what the movie's about, is that they are all desperately trying to live up to or down to what their parents or society maybe expects from them. Which is why yeah. it still resonates today, yeah, even right, right, right. with the absence, clear absence of some personas. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you so much for these great responses to this episode's compelling question. We'll put this question out to the community as well to respond to in social media and in the private community platform, Rename the Corner, which is accessible from our website, www.leap imperfect.com. All right. So let's bring things to present day. I want to kick off this conversation by referencing a few things I read in a book called Why We Can't Sleep by Ada Calhoun. It was uh, recommended to me by someone when I was talking about nobody talks about Generation X. And they said, oh, you've got to read this book. And in, in this book, she built upon an essay that she wrote that was showcased in Oprah's magazine O called The New Midlife Crisis, Why and How it's hitting Gen X women. First of all, I loved this book primarily because it's the first book I've read that has actually spoke to me as a Generation X woman. And I'm like, nobody talks to me. They're either talking to boomers or they're talking to millennials. And I'm on the periphery because I might relate to some or none, but nothing has really spoke directly to our generation um, as far as I feel. So she had my attention right there, but there was so much in that book that just hit me square in the, holy shit, I'm not the only one. (laughs) Like There's other people (laughs) going through this kind of thing. She shares that nearly 60% of generation Xers describe themselves as stressed out. And I know that most generations say that, but specifically women's happiness declined both absolutely and relative to men from early 70s to the mid 2000s. So while everybody's feeling stressed out, there is something that has happened specifically with our generation because of that time frame. More than one in five women are on antidepressants. We're furious and overwhelmed. And we as a society just don't talk enough about how the deck is just stacked against this generation feeling any other way. She also shares that research shows that women's happiness bottoms out at around 40 versus men who bottom out at around 50. Now, the good news is we both come back up (laughs) as we get older, 
But that whole midlife crisis phenomenon doesn't get talked about much for us as women because we've already navigated through it before any of the men are dealing with it. <laughs> yeah. And then we hit the menopause. Yeah. So then we have to deal with that as well. <laughs> While the men are dealing with their midlife, talk to me later when I'm not having a hot flush. So <laughs> on a personal level, we're a generation that experienced the highest rate of divorce in our parents. We're often the first women to get a college degree in our family. We've navigated now three significant financial crises, one right when we were exiting college, one about the time we were probably buying our homes, and the one most recently that happened with everything with the pandemic as we're trying to get into our retirement phase. We were the you-can-have-it-all generation with no knowledge about the toll that it could take physically and mentally, and we are the neglected middle child, a straight-line bridge between two noisy behemoth generations, two generations that we are responsible for caring for, and often that is disproportionately put on the shoulders of women. So she starts off both the article and the book by sharing a story of talking to a friend of hers and asking, hey, do you know anyone having a midlife crisis that I could talk to? And her friend goes silent and then says, I'm trying to think of any woman I know who's not. So maybe, and hopefully none of what I just said resonates with three of you, but maybe, just maybe it does. And Mila and Mary, I, I know you both personally have experienced instability and turmoil of what has happened in Venezuela over this time period as well, which layers a whole other aspect of stress upon that. So context matters and can compound what we as middle-aged women are experiencing. So I want to talk a bit about this with the four of us. So first, I'd love to just hear reactions to what I've shared from Ada's book and article, the concept of us as women just having a midlife crisis, basically, that nobody actually lets us have. <laughs> I'm sad to say that too much of this resonated hard hard with me. I married very young and got divorced right about that lovely time that you're talking about with the midlife crisis hitting. And so I legitimately feel like I definitely had that midlife crisis. And Katie's known me for a very long time. She knows how my life went from I was full-time mom and had a job and then I was divorced and I was by myself and for the first time in my life. And a lot of this really hit hard with me as far as going through the midlife crisis and dealing with depression and, and frustration and things like that. But I definitely, and the other thing that I just screaming at the windmills is the middle child in the middle of two very noisy siblings. It yeah. is always about the boomers. It is always about the generation after us, whether it be Z or millennial is always about them. And we are lost in the shuffle. We are. And it's very upsetting. They aren't speaking to us anymore. And if they are, they're talking down to us as if we're, we didn't start a lot of the change that is happening right now and that we weren't a part of it. And the recent retelling of Sex in the City, where yeah. all of a sudden women who are my age, I don't recognize those women. I don't see those women. They're not they're awkwardly unsexual beings, which is nonsense. That makes us sound like old women. Uh, we're not. It makes us sound like we're getting lost in the woke shuffle, as it were. We're not. We understood all of these concepts before it became 
a, a thing. Yeah. We started the the movement of where is LGBT going and having those conversations well, around those things. There's a reason that millennials and Gen Zs are the most racially diverse <laughs> children. Right. Because Gen X had racially diverse them. relationships. And that's what I hate is you talk to me as if you would put me out to pasture at 52 years old and I am nowhere near out to pasture. I just got my college degree. I just started a whole new career. I'm divorced and single and uh, living my own life now that I've put two children out of my house. I make money. I spend money. I like to buy things. I like to go on trips. You are making a mistake. Mila laughed. I don't know if she laughed because she knew what was popping in my head, but when you mentioned in just like that, the sex in the city, (laughs) because I was like, I'm sorry, they're, they're our age, right? Why are they acting like 80 year olds? Like, I don't, I don't even get it. And she doesn't want to talk about masturbation. And she doesn't want, nobody talks about menopause. I was like, Mila's heard me raging about this. I was, oh, they kind of briefly touch on it in the second to the last episode. Why are none of these women Yeah. And can I tell you, it was terrible because the minute that I got divorced, I kid you not, at 42 years old, you guys, I started going through menopause. Oh, 42. 42 years old. And I was done by the time I was 44. So I was super happy about that because I was like, yay, look at me, 44. And I don't have to worry about having kids and single. But right at the time I was like feeling myself, I'm divorced. I can go out and date. You're right, Katie. I could set someone on fire sitting next to them in a movie theater because I would get a hot flash that would be like, (laughs) I just. (laughs) Men find that so attractive when you're sitting next to them sweating in a movie theater and being like, please don't touch my leg. Your hand could catch on fire. (laughs) I can't sleep with you because I don't sleep. I just roll around in wet sheets. Thank and leave you. a pool in on my side. Mary, Mila, what was your reaction to that that first part? I think that the, the first part, I think it's, it's very interesting what she's saying and how I experienced the midlife crisis is in my way, it was more like a mental health crisis, like being hmm. almost to the point of burnout. So that's how I experienced it. So I totally understand that. So now I'm in a... <laughs> At the beginning of menopause, or perimenopause, I can relate to the, the hot flashes and feeling like burning. And then the problem is that I am normally cold. So then you, it is very visible when I have the hot flashes because it is like taking out the sweater, putting on the sweater, taking out the sweater, putting on the sweater. Mary, how about you? Why I read the article and it was interesting. And let me tell you, I, I this generation thing and X and Z and whatever, this wasn't a thing a few years back. I don't know if um, I live in a bubble, but <clears throat> I would think that this stress that this uh, lady said she talks about, every generation feels that, whether you have kids or not. Uh, I can relate more with what she says because I have two kids and you will worry until the day you die for these kids or at least me I don't know if everybody feels like that but uh, that's something that you have to live with and it's very stressful and when you have kids because being choose to be here I chose 
for them to we be here. Them. Yeah. So I have to take care of them. I, yeah. They are my responsibility. And I my life comes second when it comes to them. So <laughs> that that also puts, puts pressure. And you get to those situations. But at the same time, it's fun to have them. Yeah. <laughs> but then you have to focus and concentrate on those moments. And, yeah. and I learned that. I learned that. I still stress. I, I still get depressed because, you know, thinking back of things that I did that I should have done or should have done better, that's what it's kind of sad or depressing to me. But I try to focus on on, on what's positive. And well, what positive now. The good yeah. moment. The good yeah. moment. And, and cool. uh, that squeeze between the generations that we are supposed to be feeling as a generation X is, I would think that, like you said, these are two, we're the middle child and, and we are in between two that did big things like the 60s. There were things happening in the 60s and right now there are things happening. It's like our generation didn't do anything, you know, too loudly. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, when you compare, we didn't do anything loudly, but yes, we were what the that started this whole thing. We're the tech revolution. We the are, yeah. I think yeah, we are the tech revolution. We started we, everything, but they, we they do are it loudly. Out. Loudly. They, those two generations, like we said, they're the loud older and younger siblings. We're the ones who just quietly go about our way making change. But that's her point though. So this is the point behind <laughs> her article. Is yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we are the generation that, and Mary, you're totally right. Every generation, every person feels stress in their own way, but we were the generation and, and this might've been a U.S. phenomenon too, but we often get labeled as the latchkey generation where both parents the first mass generation that had both parents working or out of the house. So you know, they'd tie a rope with a um, key on it so we could let our in, ourselves in at the end of a school day on our own. And so to, to what you're both talking about, right? Like we just took care of things. We took care of ourselves. We got things done. We just hunkered down, didn't complain. I'm sure we did complain because they also say that about us too, but we, right. We just get stuff done and we don't require the accolades that perhaps other generations need. But the thing that she talks about is because of some of those things, we are experiencing a stress that we had no role models on how to navigate. So we, are like the parents before us weren't having to necessarily take care of their parents and their kids in the same way that we're having to. In a lot of ways, they lived in the same community, lived in the same home proximity. Now we're all geographically dispersed. So for example, and thank God I don't have kids to take care of me because I was so stressed just taking care of my parents. But I'm on the complete opposite side of the country when my father was having his health situation last year. I, like, I was so stressed. Sleep was not a thing. I couldn't imagine if I was still trying to navigate children in the home or children in college or whatever that might be. And the other thing um, on that is this whole, you could have it all. So ladies go out there, get your college education. You can go work. You can go do right. Like we fought for this. So now you can have it all. 
but I keep going. And I don't know, Mila, if you watch this clip I sent you, there's a commercial that was in the U.S. for a perfume called Anjali. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and the commercial was, I can bring on the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never let you forget you're a man. I can always watch that and go, so what's he doing differently? Nothing was the answer <laughs> So for a lot of people. So yes, you could have it all, but nobody taught us how to have it all. And that, that have it all doesn't mean you have it all and you can't let go of some other things. So I think what she's saying is as a generation, we're having to navigate some things that the generations ahead of us did not have to navigate. And we have to set the groundwork for the generations behind us and women disproportionately pull up some of those things because they're about care and that what is at risk and what has been the loss for that is our sleep, our mental health, investing in ourselves. Those are the things that have been lost because of this. And, I, and you know, we're a organization that's focused on women. I'm sure there are men in Generation X that are having just as many, some of these issues as well too. But I think everything you're talking about, that's her point, right? We had to figure it out we, because no, there was nobody really in mass. There was not a lot of role models for us to learn for, from even like menopause, like the fact that it is 2022 and there is not some really good stuff out there about menopause that is easy to find is ridiculous. Although we're going to have but a menopause it is. Yeah, it is a still a taboo, let's say, to talk about menopause. It is, if I can, if I would say in a meeting, okay, sorry, guys, I'm having a hot flash, open the window, they will look at me like I'm crazy. Now like, I worked what? with a woman that always had her fan and people would always just look at her. I'm like, you fan away, woman. I, like, you do yeah, what you of course, do. Of course. <laughs> that is, it is still a taboo. You don't talk about that. Does but anyway, that play into the sexualization that you were talking about earlier, because all of these things, nursing becomes about breasts, menopause becomes about sex, right? Everything related to women, for some reason, becomes sexualized, right? Or when you're having a hot flash, people start to think about your, you no longer can have children. So are you a sexual being anymore? And you're like, ah, oh, slow your roll there, buddy. Actually, uh, I can have sex without worrying about being that's pregnant. Right. That I is so cool. Sex now than I had before. But yeah, what about women becomes about the shelf life of their sexuality and how they are viewed as a sexual being rather than a normal kind of animal who goes through cycles of life and has normal reactions to it. And that's what frustrates me is that's why it's okay for us to pay for ED medication and not to pay for birth control or to pay for treatment for menopause or PMD or things like that. And yet, we're telling insurance companies that they can pay for Viagra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's all about the sexualization. That, do you think that ever changed? Because there are countries that are way behind. I know, um, I know. And You're way right. ahead. Like, hey, so we, we here is on this side of the world globe. We well, are way ahead. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I'm definitely down not. there, they are way that? behind. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. 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 But look at what's happening in our country right now. Women are losing their body autonomy, something we fought hard to get. And now we're actually sliding backwards yeah. 
to yeah. we it's like they've said we've given women too much freedom now we have to start taking it back because they're actually utilizing it oh wait and they're smart <laughs> well that's why we're you that that's the thing for well, i think that they have we're utilizing it they have to be uh, the generation after us has to be really smart and go to vote but i'm getting yes. exhausted with this conversation because <laughs> there is so much still that needs to be done but it's now time to uh, go to the, our next segment, that is the did you know segment. That moment that we share with you something of interest that you might not know, but that we think is relevant for today's conversation. So for this episode's did you know, we're going to share some random trivia about Generation X as captured in an article by the magazine Mental Flows, I like the name, and another by AARA, oh shoot, AARP, who is actually one of the, <laughs> that hasn't forgotten about us. And then Katie loves. Yes, because the American Association of Retired Persons actually recognizes us. So <laughs> they, <laughs> they know us. But anyways, okay. So a couple of trivia things are, so where did our name even come from? And to Mary's thing, right? Like where did all this generation stuff, when did it start? Our name was by a, a 1991 book called Generation X. Tales for an Accelerated Culture. However, there is a nod of credit to a book by Jane Deverson and Charles Hamblett from 1964. I love that it's two books on the opposite ends of our actual birth dates. But anyways, but Billy Idol took, took on the name from that book for his very first band, which was called yeah. Generation X. And so I like to just, because I'm a Billy Idol fan, I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> I think so. I will go with that one as well. So we are also known as the forgotten generation since we're so often ignored in discussions about generations. So that's why we were talking about today. We also, so the other thing, and I don't know if this happened for the two of you, Mary and Mila, but in the US, Generation X had some of the most in your face public service announcements. Back in the 80s, for example, the campaigns to get you to not take drugs, there was a guy with a frying pan and there was oil in it and he's, this is drugs. And then he threw an egg in there and the egg sizzles and fries and it's like, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Or there was stranger danger PSAs all the time. Pee Wee Herman tried telling us not to take crack cocaine and they all I've listened to a bunch of them. I'm going to put a link in the podcast notes. They all have the same soundtrack behind them. This really ominous music. So anyways, we were a scare tactic generation. We think everything's going to kill us now. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. So 77% of us, so our generation play some type of gaming activity every day. Candy Crush much? No, not me. <laughs> this I don't get because I am I'm in that percentage that doesn't. I really don't. Mary <laughs> also I'll is... admit it. I play that and I play oh. Wordle. I'll admit it. Okay. We spend more time on social media than any other group. 40 hours more a week. That I really found hard to believe, but I don't know. I really I don't actually, know. It doesn't shock me at all. <laughs> but more than the millennials? Yes. That that is shocking to me. I think because we spend time. I think they transact. Could I can be, agree yeah. with that, especially yeah. since a lot of millennials right now are, this is their kind of early families finishing up college kind of thing. She's right. I think they, they hit it and quit it, right? They're on it 
they look, they interact, and they're out. Whereas we scroll and read and that kind of thing. Could be, yep. Three hours later of TikTok videos, we realize maybe we should make dinner. <laughs> we uh, So another uh, trivia item, we make up 51% of the leadership roles globally, although we are slower to advance than boomers or millennials. Additionally, good thing we have those leadership roles because we also have the most debt. And this is a U.S. statistic on this one. On average, a Gen X person has $125,000 of debt. That includes your car loans, your house loans, all that kind of stuff versus the national average of 88,000 and millennials are at 52,000. So everybody around us complaining about their debt. Because they can't afford to buy a house, Katie. They are living with college loans and inflation and they can't afford to buy a house. Yeah, same as us. We just were in a, we purchased when things looked good. That's and right. then immediately after we did that, the shit fell out of the bottom. So we got stuck with <laughs> That's it. That's also right. They were able to plan <laughs> a little differently. <laughs> so anyways. All right. And Mila, one more fact. Yeah. We desire balance and flexibility. Gen X says they want to stay active physically healthy, socially connected, maybe that's why the social media, and engage well into our retirement. So that's a few fun facts about Gen X. Many of them, as I mentioned, US-centric, but not all. And the last few are just a, a good segue into our final topic. So the last thing we wanted to talk about is what does the future hold in store for us? Aspirations and concerns. So I guess maybe let's start with the dream. What do all of you hope? We're on the cusp of moving into our retirement and our twilight. Not anytime soon because- <laughs> Yikes, twilight, you know I mean? yikes. But, but no, but as you start moving towards your 60s and your 70s, what are you, what are you hopeful about? What are you worried about? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I'm worried and I'm hopeful <laughs> about the exact same thing. I'm worried about the direction that this country, and, and I speak for as an American, I'm not exactly thrilled with the way the world's going, but I know I'm not happy the direction that America is taking. But I'm also hopeful about the direction. None of this, and, and Mary said it earlier, and I agree with her, we've seen all of this before, right? The world is on a cycle. We've seen war, we've seen famine, we've seen disease, we've seen, we went through the AIDS pandemic and we went through Reagan. They're going through the Omicron variant and Trump. We've all been through it. It's cyclical. So I'm hopeful that this generation being that they are incredibly engaged will use that to their advantage and make some really positive change for each other. I, I am hopeful about the, the fighting for inclusion. I'm super happy that representation matters. I know it's a weird thing, but I'm happy that Victoria's Secret has its first Down syndrome model and she is beautiful and she is yeah. vibrant and yeah. representation matters. And I am happy that we are seeing Americans, Black Americans, Asian Americans speak up and say, no yeah. more are we gonna sit by and let this happen to us. And, and I think this generation wants to listen and I think they wanna act and I, I'm hopeful for that. So we'll see, I'm, I'm hopeful. I agree with Laura and I'm hopeful because since the beginning, we have been evolving. We are not as we were 100, 200, 400 years ago. 
we have changed slowly, but we have changed. And I think we, we will keep changing. And the good thing about this generation that comes after us is that they are more, like you said, willing to fight for what they believe in. I think there's hope. And like we say in Spanish, uh, la esperanza es lo último que se pierde. I mean, that, that's the last thing that, that you lose. Uh, it's hope. So let's keep having hope and be thinking positive that we are going towards or we are moving towards a, a better place for everyone, a better planet, a better social situation. And even though we have been in cycles, relieving yeah. almost the same things in a different way, but I think we have come a, a long way. I'm hopeful. That's good. That's good that you are. The one thing that I'm worried about, so in the same theme that you guys are talking about, is that I'm worried that we are not learning as a society, that we are not really learning. And then we are doing, like, for example, we have all these things happening when people were in lockdown with the pandemic, that nature was feeling better, the air quality was better, there were more animals, I don't know, going here, there, there were, they saw the population of certain animals return to the places where they were. But then what happened now, everything goes back to the same. So we are not learning and I'm worried about that. Personally, though, so answering this, answering this question personally, I'm hopeful about the fact that I feel that my decision to stay here in Europe, I think it was a good one. I'm hopeful that I'm going to be able to be here and stay here in, in Europe and then maybe be able to retire comfortably because the, the part of it is going to be cover for me in the sense that you The, the, the situation, how it is here with medical health and insurance and everything, it is covered. So then I'm hopeful about that, that I can have a retirement where I don't have to worry about being sick and not be, being able to get help. So that is something that, that I'm very hopeful about, that I'm going to have a good retirement, let's say. And I'm worried about having to deal with what you are dealing with or were dealing with your father. So then my parents are very far away. Mary, you also are dealing with that, having your mother very far away. And then thinking about that, I'm very worried about that. Yeah, yeah that, from... that's on my, I'm sorry. That's oh, on my ahead. mind too. That's something that worries me. Like, our retirement, our health, and then my mom's and my yes. mother-in-law. Uh, that's, that's, and even though we have kids and we are hoping that they'll take care of us. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's something that worries me. Yeah, and what is retirement? Look, I think about for my parents, all of my grandparents except for one had passed. So their retirement was about taking care of themselves and enjoying life. Kids grown up parents gone, they could focus on themselves. I think for our generation and generations to come, that's not the reality. We are probably taking care of parents into our retirement. So retirement that is wholly focused on ourselves is probably delayed a bit. But I, I think for me, I am quite concerned what's happening over here in the U.S. and what that means relatively to my comfortable but not excessive of retirement fund. And so I am a bit worried that what I thought I would have is going to go in a blink of an eye. And, and remaining here in the U.S., healthcare is going to eat up whatever I have. 
So I'm very concerned about that. I'm also very concerned about what is happening with climate change, because I believe that there are going to be more and more climate disasters and catastrophes and health related and famine. And it's really going to, it's going to shake up things on a global um, platform of which all the experts have been shouting about. So it's not like we should be surprised by what's going to happen because they've been telling us what's going to happen. And because Tamila, what you were saying, we're not learning, it's inevitable. So I am worried about what all that does to my twilight years. On the hopeful side, see, I'm not all doom and gloom. On the hopeful (laughs) side, I do actually love that there are ways for us to be engaged in the world in different ways than our parents had. So if I want to semi-retire, but still want to have something work-like, right? Whether that is volunteering or whether like it's having a podcast and supporting a website or whatever that might weigh, there is, there are ways to stay engaged and active. So I am excited that I can probably stay as involved as I want to, as long as I want to, and we'll see how that rolls. So one quick, I want to do this rapid fire advice to millennials as they creep up on middle age. What do you wish somebody had told you that you are now going to pass on to the millennials? And I can get us started. Yeah. We're just discovering that self-care is important (laughs) and (laughs) and you should not be selfish about self-care because as a couple of you have referenced, focusing on your mental health was not something you really talked about openly. And I love that conversation is happening. So millennials, and generations after, take care of yourself. We're trying to get the stuff out there, learn faster than we did and take advantage of it so that you can be maybe an ounce less stressed than we are heading into our fifties. So that's my advice. Yep. Yeah, 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 that's good. I think I would say to millennials that they have to think, although self-care is not selfish, you also uh, have to think about not being selfish by taking care of the society or the community that you live in. So then getting involved in some way. That is what I would say, because then that is a way to, to give back and also to feel connected. And, when, and that helps when you are in your uh, midlife crisis that you feel connected with, with others and the community that you're in. I think mine is uh, slow down and shut up. Uh, slow down (laughs) and that's for both millennials and gen z is slow down because it all doesn't have to happen before you're 30 years old marriage kids education can be a lifelong pursuit and you learn yourself more as you grow into and get more experience and shut up because so much information is coming at you so fast don't make your decision based on what Twitter tells you you should think or what TV tells you you should think. Make your own decisions based on bringing in lots of good information. Make an educated, intelligent decision that society isn't telling you or pushing you towards what you have to do what's right for you and take your time doing it because you're going to live a nice long life and there's plenty to see and plenty to do and it ain't over when you're 40 or 50. Mary, bring us home. I would say, I I don't know what else can I add from what you guys said. I I agree with all of you. They need to take care of their health because when you get older, this will help you to have a better life when you're older. I've seen this with my mom and my mother-in-law. So take care of your health. Do what is right for your body. 
And the other thing that I thought was uh, don't overthink things. Mm-hmm. Because from experience, they think too much and want to know why. And I really think that there are some things that doesn't matter why, just move on. Yeah, move on. Forget it happened. Okay. You learn something from it, then move on. Yeah. yeah. Keep moving. On that note, it's time for our regular segment, It Doesn't All Suck, where we try to bring a bit of lightness to some heavy conversations. Today's It Doesn't All Suck takes us to Austria and the University of Innsbruck, who is leading research with funders Eve Appeal and the European Research Council on what is called the WID test, a women's cancer risk identification, which would predict the four most prevalent cancers that affect women and people with gyne organs using a single sample collected during cervical screening. They're hoping that this will not only allow for early detection, but also help with prevention. The four cancers they would test for are ovarian, breast, womb, and cervical cancers. Currently, 75% of ovarian cancers are diagnosed at a late stage when the tumors have already spread. So being able to detect the disease earlier would be a game changer and improve treatment outcomes. Yeah. What they're saying is the WID test will look for footprints on a woman's DNA as she goes through life, recording the track she is taking and whether she is heading towards cancer. This will revolutionize screening and enable a more personalized can't go figure a more personalized approach to cancer (laughs) prevention and detection where women will be screened, monitored, or treated based on their individual and changing risk. And so for me, I'm like, wow, unbelievable. Please. So it's something to keep an eye on. They're in early stages of this, but it would be a total game changer for women's health. So I'm just cheering it on. (laughs) Yes, definitely. All right, this is it for this episode at the corner with Imperfect Life. But before we say goodbye to all of you and our guests, we have our ask as we always do. And for this episode, our ask to each of you is to take a moment to shake off some of the stress that your life situation is creating for you, whether it's the squeeze that we just discussed for Gen X or anything else, and leverage a little nostalgia for a moment. So what's something that instantly takes you to a sweet moment in your life? It doesn't matter whether that was 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago, but what is that prompt that takes you to a lighter time and leverage that over the next week to help you catch your breath when you're feeling stressed? It could be a song, a smell, a sound, a movement, a photo, anything, but find that prompt and let it take you away for at least a minute. More if you have the time, take deep breaths and enjoy the moment. We would very much like to thank our two guests for jumping in the time machine with us for today's episode. Thank you, Laura. You are officially a twofer and a big thank you to Mary. Thank you for joining us for the first time. I hope that you are not nervous anymore. You did (laughs) great, great. And maybe next time you can join for another episode. And it was so much fun sharing this time with you. And we're deeply appreciative of it for, thank you for sharing your stories. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for giving two uh, women of Gen X a voice. As we said, we're the quiet generation, right? It's been a pleasure to hear from all of you and share those experiences, whether they be pop culture memories or what the stresses of our life are. And I really enjoyed getting to meet Mary. I hope Mary will also be a twofer or a fifer or whatever, (laughs) but I am always excited to be around the corner with all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you guys for having me. I I had a good time. It was a 
kind of interesting to recover some memories that I thought <laughs> were forgotten. But thank you, thank you. I, I enjoy it, and hopefully, um, I come back again sometime. Yes, we hope so as well. Yes, yes definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a big thank you also to our listeners, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Please check us out for more tools, topics, and resources at www.liveimperfect.com. And from there, you can join The Corner, our exclusive online meeting place for our listeners and members, where we come together to have more conversations, sign up for workshops, and share tips and tricks with each other. So that's it for another podcast. And until next episode, see you at The Corner. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.